Good morning again. Offer my greetings to what you have already received, and it's a pleasure and a privilege to be with you on this Christmas Eve Sunday. And I'm excited to see so many people because I really thought this was going to be a small service. And when they started bringing out chairs, I'm thinking, nobody heard that I was preaching. <laughs> Sorry, I, have to, I go there and I shouldn't go there. Callan, Callan will reprimand me for that. But in the wake of Advent celebrations, Christmas gatherings, all the things that we do to work up and prepare for Christmas celebrations, the last week of the year brings some peace and comfort and rest, right? Well, maybe for some of you. One of the advantages is that they usually close the church offices between Christmas and New Year's, and so that kind of gives me permission to take some time off. And uh, I also had some opportunities to be involved with folks from our church this past week as well. But it helps us to have opportunity to understand the fullness of God's love for us in that, while he, in that he sent his son and our savior to set us free from our sinful nature and gives us the opportunity to participate in his kingdom purposes. New Year's celebrations technically or, or traditionally don't seem to be filled with as much biblical content or biblical backing as the four Sundays of Advent and the time that we have just gone through a rich time frame for our church, a rich time frame for the history of believers. And, and New Year's is kind of empty, empty of some of that, of some of that, that spiritual gripping of our hearts. I was doing some looking online to find out what are some, some typical things or some things that are done throughout the world to celebrate Christmas Eve. And for the most part, trying to assure that we have a peaceful and a profitable and a healthy new year. In Spain, eating 12 grapes with each stroke of the clock at midnight or each, for each month of the year is supposed to bring health and happiness in the new year. I'm sure it brings health and happiness for the grape growers. If you're buying a dozen grapes for each person in your family, uh, that, that would be beneficial. And don't you wish you lived in Greece where hanging onions on your door and throughout your house is a symbol of new life and new beginnings. I have some onions if you want to take them home with you. One thing that was said was that some parents like to take the onions and tap them on their children's faces um, at midnight as the, as the clock strikes 12. Here's my personal favorite. In Denmark, smashing plates 
on your neighbor's front porch. <laughs> now, this, this is, there were two takes on this. One is a blessing to, to, to say, you know, we appreciate you. And I guess the, most, the, the people that had to clean up the most broken plates were the most blessed and the most favored. But the other take on it was, is that you're throwing away your, your, your animosity toward them and, and cleansing yourself. So if you had a lot of plates broken on your front porch, you might think, well, I might not be very well liked in my neighborhood. And then an Irish custom for hopeful singer, singles and for those who are more concerned about the environment and like to recycle, you take the mistletoe, put it under your pillow, and sleep on it on New Year's Eve, and then burn it in the fire the next day in hope of love and prosperity in, in the next year. It's interesting to me that, that a lot of things around New Year's, a lot of things that are tied into New Year's celebration are external things. Things that we do or things that we eat or things that we take on that are aimed at bringing some kind of hope and help and health to us. Jesus came to give us new life. Jesus came to give us new beginnings. As we anticipate the new year, and when I was, when I was asked to speak on, on New Year's Eve, two things came to my mind. One was a song that we always sang in youth rallies growing up in the early 70s. And I begged Callan to do it, but he said it wasn't fitting for, for whatever. He just didn't have the passion that I had. <laughs> so I'm, I promise you that I'm not going to sing it for you. But I do want to read the lyrics. New life in Christ, abundant and free. What glories shine, what joys are mine. What wondrous blessings I see. My past with its sin, the searching and strife. Forever gone, there's a bright new dawn. For in Christ, I have found new life. As we venture into the new year, it is my hope that, that even we as seasoned believers and new believers and even non-believers would begin to see, begin to hold on, and to be refreshed in the newness of life that comes from us, comes to us in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I'm thankful for time together this morning to reflect on who you are and what you have done for us and what you have provided for us in the newness of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Go before us today. Open our hearts and our minds and our lives to be looking for what you want to accomplish in and through us in the coming year. In Jesus' name, amen.
The other thing that I thought, that as when I was asked to, uh, to, pre- to preach on this Sunday, is 2 Corinthians, the scripture, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Listen as I read. It's very short. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Isn't that rich for us to think about? as we enter into a new year. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. In our relationship with Jesus Christ, in our personal relationship with Jesus Christ, in our relationship with each other, in our relationship with the church, As we look forward into a new year, the challenge is to understand what Jesus wants to do in and through us. The first phrase, it says that if anyone is in Christ, what does it mean to be in Christ? What does it mean when it says to be in Christ? John Stott says this, To be in Christ does not mean to be inside Christ as tools are in a box or are clothes in a closet, but to be organically united to Christ as a limb is in the body or a branch is in the tree. It is this personal relationship with Christ that is the distinctive mark of his authentic followers. Are we in Christ? Or do we understand what it means to be in Christ? Because if we are pursuing a personal relationship with Jesus, if we are pursuing a personal understanding of what he wants to accomplish in us, then we are aiming and growing in a sense to be in Christ. It's not just to be in the church or to be in a small group or to be in a Bible study, or to be in a group. It's to be pursuing our personal relationship with Jesus. To the point where I I call it an intentional, intimate, and obedient relationship with Jesus Christ. Intentional, intimate, an obedient relationship with Jesus Christ. And if we are pursuing that in Christ journey, then we can expect the other things that are around the, our relationship with him, we can expect to, to experience all that he has planned for us, all that he wants for us, and all that he has for us to do. When I'm pursuing and feeling and, and hitting on all cylinders of being in Christ, I am motivated and excited about my relationship with him. I am motivated and excited to be involved in what he's called me to do. When I am trying to do things 
in Joe, it gets very difficult. I get burned out. I get discouraged. But I know that I can't do it. But why do I think that I can? And why do we think that we can do things that God wants us to do in our own strength and under our own power? In Christ, by the power and authority of his death and resurrection, the power and authority of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we have the opportunity to be joyfully involved in what God has called us to do. There are exciting things happening in our church. And you should be excited about the things that, that you hear, the things that are happening in KRL, the things that are happening in our Sunday school, the things that are happening with our children, the things that are happening across the board in, in mental health. Uh, we are actively involved in, in working to be in Christ and to be participating in his kingdom purposes. So to be in Christ means to be pursuing that intentional, intimate, and obedient relationship with him. I don't do that every day. I don't do that every day. But when I am more, the, the more consistent in pursuing that relationship, then I experience the joy of my salvation in ways that I can only imagine. And the struggle is to be reminding, to be diligent, to be moving forward, to be moving forward, to be in Christ. The next piece of that scripture is to be made new. When we are pursuing being in Christ, then we are made new. Does anybody feel like I do that sometimes I just need to be made new? Talk to my wife, she'll tell you. There are times when she would like me to be made new. And I'm, and I'm not, I mean, yes, God cares about our physical health. God cares about the things that happen uh, to keep us healthy. But what I'm talking about being made new is being made new in my understanding of what it means to be committed to Jesus. What it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Galatians 2.20 says... I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. One of my favorite verses, and I share several, in the sense of being made new. I am crucified with Christ, but I no longer live. And the person that you see walking around, hopefully, is a reflection of his Holy Spirit in us and the opportunity 
that we have to be involved in our own lives and in the lives of people around us. Philippians 2, 3 to 5, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. What Philippians 2 is telling us that, that we need to have the mind of Christ. If we are being instructed, if we are being directed by the mind of Christ, how would that affect the things that we do and say in the course of a day? Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Transformed by the renewing of our minds. I often get lazy. I get lazy and I'm not challenging what I'm thinking or thinking about that helps me to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Why do you think Paul says, think on these things? Because our actions begin in our minds. Our actions are, in, are influenced by what we're thinking. If we're thinking on whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, whatever is excellent, and anything that is praiseworthy, where will our actions go? But if we're thinking on lies and dishonorable and injustice and impurity and ugly and all of those things that are not in the scope of what Philippians 4.8 says. Can you see how the difference of what we think makes in how we act? And not necessarily how we act, but how we feel about ourselves. How we feel about others. If, if I'm thinking horrible thoughts about who I am and where I'm going and where I've been, and I think you know some of my story. My parents were divorced when I was 13. My brother, uh, who you, some of you met, and he had the opportunity to be here for two years 
while he was being treated for lung cancer. My brother and I were not, the, we, we, we were not on the same track when we were growing up. My mother used to tell him that my dad loved him more, or loved me more than he loved him. And if he's thinking that, then what are his actions going to be towards me? And I was always afraid of my brother because he was always threatening to do something to harm me. God performed a miracle, not only of healing in his life because he got through the cancer, but healing in our lives because we were able to come to reconcile our relationship. And as, as I saw God doing that, I was always afraid of my brother. Even I had some questions about inviting him to come and stay, or be in the area, because there were a certain amount of fear that were connected to, to our childhood. But as I watched the Holy Spirit and the power of God, and as we connected in our relationship together, and as he kind of began to see me in a different light, and I began to see him in a different light, that was the becoming new of our relationship. That didn't take place because of anything that I was doing. And that didn't take place because of anything that he was doing. I'm sure we still annoyed each other in, in many ways. But the last conversation I had with my brother as we were sitting in the hospital room and, and his kidneys were failing and we had just signed paperwork for him to be on hospice. And I said to him, do you understand what we've just done? And he said, yes, I do. And I said to him, do you know that I love you? And he said, I love you too. And that was the last conversation that we had. That would have never happened outside of the transforming power of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus has the power and authority to make old things new. Now, I don't know how you respond to that statement because you may be going through some very, very difficult times. As assistant pastor of congregational care and as pastor of care in Vermont for 26 years or 14 years, I've walked through many circumstances with people who were experiencing hard times. The difference that a relationship with Jesus Christ makes in their lives is remarkable. The difference on, it's not that, I mean, my brother knew that he was dying. My brother knew that his kidneys were failing, but he knew that we had restored our relationship 
and he knew and understood anew what his relationship was with Jesus. In the coming year, my hope and prayer for us as a church is that we would begin to understand anew what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not the fact that we're all in here this morning that that has any difference on what God wants to accomplish in our lives. We are here likely because of what he has done, but we are not here to have something new take place in our life because we're sitting in these seats today. The change that takes place in our lives is our personal pursuit of Jesus Christ our personal relationship with him. And we all need to be reminded. We all need to be moving forward in directions. We all need to be challenged. And that's the purpose of us being here today, to be challenged and sharpening each other in our own personal relationship with Jesus. And as we develop personal relationships with each other, and have the opportunity to get to know and feel comfortable and share, you're going to find someone who has walked a similar journey as you. And our hope and prayer is that that will be what takes place in the walls of this church. Not just how many people can we get here on a Sunday morning, not just how much can we give to different places. Although giving is important and First Press has been instrumental in many areas. We are, we are, we are really at the top of the charts of reaching out in our community. But that doesn't, meet, that doesn't really matter in our own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not because of how much we give. It's not because of how much we serve. It's not because of, of how friendly we are. It's all about us pursuing a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. My hope for you for the coming year is that is, that is exactly what you will be doing. I found this, this statement on our website. It says, God invites our personal, individual, great, grateful response to his saving work. God challenges each person to accept, accept the gift that Jesus offers. This invitation begins both with great responsibility and great comfort. The responsibility is that each of us is held accountable for our responses. The great comfort is that once the response is given, the person can fully be fully assured that God has received that person as his beloved child, safe and secure in God's love, forgiveness, acceptance, now and for eternity. 
If you're in need of understanding or knowing or challenge to know how to enter into that personal relationship with God, it's right there on our website. It's right there, and you, you, you might have to look for it and click on it, but it's there, and you can find exactly what I have found. The response includes statements like, I'm sorry. Ask God to forgive you for things you've done wrong, the ways you have pushed God away. To say thank you. Believe that Jesus died on the cross so you could be rescued by God and adopted as God's beloved child. Thank him for this undeserved gift. And then please accept God's gift Invite God to live within you to help you to turn from your old way of living and become new. Because Jesus is in the process of making each of us new. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we anticipate a new year, as we anticipate what you might be doing as we anticipate our needs from you. Help us to most of all be pursuing a personal relationship with you. And to know that, that it's not the things that we do. It's all about you. It's all about your sacrifice for us. It's all about your love that's demonstrated to us in that while we we're still sinning, Christ died for us. Thank you for the new year. Thank you for the opportunities that will be ours to, to be a part of your kingdom purposes. But I also pray that you would challenge us to seek out the help and relationships that we need in order to establish the direction of our lives according to you and your plan. In Jesus' name.